feel led throughout this Christmas season to talk about this wonderful, wonderful holiday, but as it pertains to the real world that we live in. So last week I talked about how to survive the most wonderful time of the year. And this year, my sub, uh, this week, my subject is when Christmas isn't what it's all cracked up to be. Matthew chapter 2, and I'll begin reading in verse number 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes and all the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Verse 7. Then Herod when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east was before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. I wonder what the first Christmas would have been like if instead of the three wise men coming to see Jesus, it had been three wise women. First, I'm certain they would have asked for directions. They probably would have made it to Bethlehem on time. They definitely would have helped with the delivery. The stable would have been cleaned up. And... A decent meal would have been prepared. And much more practical gifts would have been given for a baby than gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In other words, it would have been a lot different. Now, the wise men, or the magi, as they're often called, were basically in ancient times these super spiritual people. Superb knowledge, uh, they had, um, superb knowledge of things like math and science and astronomy and history and agriculture. Historians believe that they didn't become, that people didn't become king in any of those uh, surrounding areas without having a mastery of these type of things. And that the disciplines of the magi or the wise men were what had to be used to be approved to be part of the crown. The prophet Daniel, in his book, talks about dealing with the wise men or magi in Babylon. And it's probably why the magi were looking for one who was born king of the Jews. The wise men were satisfied. They 
had a desire in this first Christmas, and they were completely satisfied because when they found the Christ child, they bowed down to worship. How many people do you know deal with disappointment at Christmas time? Some of it stems from decades of issues that have arisen and come up, uh, perhaps in their childhood. Some have had those expectations and then had them uh, not fulfilled or dashed. And it just can be a difficult time. Disappointments that can affect different moods. It can have influences and impact in relationships. Disappointments that can affect not only the situations that people are involved in at the moment, but can impact how they will forever view future Christmases. How can we have a better mindset, a better, more spiritual mindset as it comes to Christmas? How can we experience the true satisfaction that seems to be the dream of this season? Well, one way is by deciding right now as God's people that we're going to pursue things at Christmas time that cannot disappoint. So I'm going to look at a few things that really can't disappoint. And they don't just not disappoint at Christmas time. They don't disappoint any time of the year. The first, we need to be a people, even at this time of year, who seek the right thing. Biggest question you have people asking one another, especially family members that they plan to get together with throughout the Christmas season, is what do you want for Christmas? Or maybe the better question, if we were to dig deeper into our hearts, is what do you want out of Christmas. What would make it wonderful? Our families being together and, and being happy and putting away um, old arguments or hostilities. Our culture seems to have this buzz phrase called the holiday spirit, which I've often had a difficult time getting anybody to explain to me or define for me. I know this is not the thing that would make it a wonderful Christmas for many in our church, but there are actually people out there who, for it to be a wonderful Christmas, they want to see snow. I know that's none of you here, or if it's you, if you want to see it, you want to see it, it can fall, and by noon, it's got to be gone. Or it might be that what would make it the most wonderful Christmas is finding that perfect present or if we're honest getting that perfect present we have this feeling that like when we were kids when you would have a lot of things given to you but you had your own list in your heart and you wondered if you got the things you asked for so many people throughout our culture have been disappointed at Christmas time and that doesn't Avoid the church. It didn't deliver what we were looking for. Well, I'm here to declare Christmas wasn't the problem. It was our expectations or our relationships. There was nothing wrong with Christmas. We were looking for the wrong thing. The wise men show us to make Christmas better and to make it 
fulfilled and to make it satisfied that you and I need to be God's people looking for the right thing and for the right person at Christmas time. The wise men came looking for an opportunity to worship the Christ child. And you and I will not be disappointed if we seek every opportunity we can to worship Jesus. Every opportunity to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The wise men not only looked for the right thing, they looked in the right place. In verses 5 and 6, it says, it is written. As wonderful as they are, and they can be very moving and emotionally satisfying, but you're not going to find complete satisfaction on the Hallmark Channel. Wonderful stuff there, I, I freely admit. But as Linus said to Charlie Brown, that's not what Christmas is all about. You're going to find it worshiping at the feet of Jesus and in his word. If we're looking for satisfaction in gifts, that can disappoint and often does. If you're looking for satisfaction in the perfect meal or this feeling or in snow or in family. How many knows that can be a trap? We want to seek the right thing. Most, of, most people know, most Christians know the verses in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts I have, I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And that's usually where people stop reading. That verse makes it onto T-shirts and coffee mugs and plaques. I've seen it on license plates. It's everywhere. But the verses that follow say, Then you will call upon me and, and, and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search me with your whole heart, with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will bring you back from your um, captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and bring you to the place for which I caused you to be carried away captive. The other part of this verse is most people that I know that quote it are in a dire situation. They're not sure what's coming next, and they want to know that the immediate future in front of them is one that's going to be of peace and hope. And there's nothing wrong with that desire. And this verse can be a comfort there. But I want to put the verse in context. This verse comes at the end of 10 verses of the prophet Jeremiah letting Israel know, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. For 70 years, you're going to have to deal with Babylonian captivity. But don't lose hope, for I know the thoughts that the Lord has towards you. That's the context of this verse. I don't know how much comfort that brought to the people of Israel. But seeking the right thing, an opportunity to worship, and the right place, the word of God, I can assure you, you will not be disappointed at Christmas time. So how can I focus my actions? How can I fo uh, focus my mind in a world that is so materialistic, that is so about lights and shows and entertainment? How can I direct my thoughts to be the ones that will give God praise? How can I avoid the being self-centered, deal-making kind of gifts that is the mindset of so many people in our culture? 
I've said it before. What's the first thing that comes to most people's mind when they go to a holiday party or some type of gathering at Christmas time and someone unexpectedly gives them a gift and they have not one for them? Their first thought is, I didn't get anything for you. And I'll keep saying it and I'll say it a million times. Why does that matter? Why does gift giving have to be gift exchanging? Where do we as Christians learn how simply to receive, to receive gifts. We were out to dinner last night uh, to celebrate a, a, a birthday, which I'll come to that later. And while we were at the restaurant, there was at another table, friends I hadn't seen in many, many years. And their whole family was together, and they were just having a wonderful family time. They were, many of them live in Pennsylvania now, and so they had come into Central Islip, and they were at the same restaurant that we were in Islandia, and it was good to see them and, and, and good to talk to them and share. And they were asking about the church, and they're praying for us. It was a wonderful time. For a moment, I thought, you know what I want to do right now? I want to ask the host of the restaurant to give me the check to that table. Had about... 11 people there. And I thought, we just had a wonderful exchange with good friends who love the Lord and we shared together. I know if I do that, I'm going to cause a war. They're going to come and say, what happened? What did you do? How could you? No, 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 let me. People. Where did we lose in our cultural upbringing the ability simply to receive? Simply to not just say thank you, but to take it in. Because even in those situations where we in the moment simply say thank you, let's be honest. What happens is when someone gives you a gift unexpectedly, the wheels start turning. And how basically can I get back at them? How can I find them in a moment and give them a gift? And the reason you're giving them a gift is not out of a heart. It's because they gave one to you. It's an exchange. We need to understand that the principle behind this time of year is that God gave us a gift we could never pay back. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave us a gift that we need to receive. So seeking the right things are great. But what is Christmas without gifts? So since this is a gift season, the second thing I want to point out that can make this better is give the right thing. The wise men came to Jesus' house with a bunch of gifts. From a cultural perspective, and given who the Magi were, they were appropriate. At least two of them were. One of them I can question. Interesting thought. The wise men came to worship as part of their worship. And part of their worship included giving. Giving gifts. They gave gold. That was a sign from the Magi that they understood they were approaching a king. They weren't just approaching a baby. They weren't just approaching a promise. They weren't just approaching a future possibility they recognized at that moment in time they were approaching a king and they were they also brought 
frankincense. Frankincense was a gift you gave to a priest. It was used in ceremonies. And they understood at that moment, this newborn baby was a priest in Israel. He was a spiritual leader who would come into the lives of people and bring healing and bring joy. The third gift is a little puzzling. At least if you don't look at it from a prophetic standpoint. Because myrrh. Myrrh was something you put on the dead. It was how the bodies were prepared. It was a fragrant ointment that was used to anoint the body just before burial. They couldn't have known. Mary and Joseph probably didn't realize. But you and I know. That even in the manger, there was a cross in that baby's future. And that cross was for you and me. That cross was for our salvation. That cross was to pay the penalty for our sins. And that was in the mind of the Magi at the birth of this very precious child. Our greatest need at, salva- at, at Christmas, that first one, was salvation. If my greatest need had been information, then an educator would have been born. If my greatest need had been technology, then a scientist would have been born. If my greatest need had been money, then an economist would have been born. If my greatest need had been pleasure, then an entertainer would have been born. But my greatest need was salvation. So a savior was born. A savior for the whole world. We, at this time of year, ought to seek the appropriate gifts this Christmas. And I'm not talking about material things. How about showing love and kindness to those that really, really annoy you? Now, I know none of you have people in your lives that really, really annoy you. But maybe you can find someone that you can counsel later this week and help them to understand that the best gift they could give at Christmas time is to show love and kindness and joy to people that really annoy them. Not just to friends, but to family. Because again, none of you have family members that annoy you. None of, them have, none of us have family members that just get under our skin. None of us have family members that at Christmas time we're looking so forward to getting together with, and a few hours after that get together, we're looking so forward to go home. And you can sit there pious and look at me like that, but you all have the same kind of family I do. We all have people in our lives who've hurt us, for whom forgiveness has been difficult and challenging. What a gift! in the gift of forgiveness and realizing that that's a gift you can give to yourself. The best gift you can give yourself is to stop the bondage of unforgiveness. But our greatest need at that first Christmas was forgiveness of our sins. And so God gave us a gift, a savior, giving the right thing, Giving things that result in joy, that can bring meaning at Christmas time. And that can avoid many of the disappointments 
Chad was a young, shy outcast. At the end of a school day, when other children would walk home together, Chad was always left to himself. For this reason, his mother was deeply concerned when Chad told her he wanted to make a Christmas card for every child in his class. Nevertheless, she purchased all the supplies for him to fulfill his desire. With paper, glue, crayons, Chad spent three weeks making 35 Christmas cards. On the morning of the class party, Chad was overflowing with excitement. He carefully collected all of the Christmas cards and headed out to school. But his mother was not so enthusiastic. She knew her son might not receive a single Christmas card and wondered if he could handle that level of hurt. To compensate for the pain, being a good mom, she baked his favorite cookies and had them ready when he walked down the street and, and, and walked through the door. The afternoon silence was broken by the sound of children walking down the street home from school. As usual, the other kids were laughing as they walked together, and Chad was walking all by himself. She noticed his hands were empty, and tears started to fill her eyes. When the door opened, she choked back the emotions and said, Mommy has made some cookies for you and has a glass of milk here for you. He barely heard a word. His face was glowing and his chest was about to burst with pride as he said, Not one, not one. I did not forget a single one. His focus was not on whether or not he would receive anything back. He just wanted to make sure that every single person there had a gift. That's a spirit of giving. All too often in our culture, any measure of giving has this even small measure of what will I get back. The greatest joy in life is reserved for those who are more interested in giving. Than receiving. The Bible underscores that. But let me balance that. It is more blessed to give than to receive. But if we're giving, somebody has to receive. So if we're in a place, if we're in a church, if we're in a gathering of friends, now I really feel better. I should have just asked for the check, no matter how much war ensued. Next time. When you start to look for a gift this year, please catch yourself, all of us, in the mindset, well, what, I'm going to give this gift, even the slight wonder of what will I get back. That is an open invitation for disappointment. That's an open invitation for dashed expectations. Matthew chapter 10, verse number 8. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Jesus is talking. And then he says, freely you have received. Freely give. Jesus freely gave to you and me. He freely left his home in heaven to be born as a lowly human being so that you and I would have an opportunity for salvation. And he gave his love, regardless of whether or not he would get any of it back. And as Christians, our goal is to be like him. The wise men were satisfied in their first Christmas. You and I can have a better Christmas 
when we look to seek the right things and give the right things. When we give of ourselves, we're giving the best things. I hope we'll decide to pursue the best things this Christmas, things that don't disappoint. Because when we seek satisfaction in gifts or in gatherings or even in family, they may not deliver. When you seek satisfaction in the perfect picture, which would include snow, the reality is it may not. And you need to know, as much as you're praying for snow, there are so many people not, who are praying against you. You might seek, we, we need to seek satisfaction in worshiping Jesus. Because worshiping Jesus delivers every time. When you worship at the foot of the King of Kings, he delivers every time. Because he inhabits the praises of his people. Seek satisfaction in giving things that have a price tag or moving parts. They won't last. Give of yourself. Love, kindness, friendship that has no strings attached. Forgiveness. That's the best part of you. So how can we make this Christmas unusual? Seek the right thing. Give the right thing. And place your expectations in God's hand. I like to plan. I like to plan out a whole thing. Give attention to some detail. And then I am really comfortable saying, Lord, it doesn't matter to me if none of it comes off. But as long as you're glorified, as long as you are glorified. When I get together with friends and family, Lord, be glorified. When I get together with coworkers, Lord, be glorified. Lord, when I get to when I'm in the stores and you hear the Christmas music and everyone seems so cheery and everyone seems so friendly. Everyone seems so giving until everyone goes for the same gift. Then the battle starts and the wrestling match ensues. Lord, be glorified in all that I say and do. Put Jesus in the middle of Christmas. Stand with me, please.